This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. All uses of trademarks or brands are not meant to convey sponsorship or affiliation of this podcast. From Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate, this is The Relentless, a podcast about looking at sales differently. What if? What if I thought outside the box? What if it was more of a celebration with our clients than work? In every episode, we're pulling back the curtain with thought leaders across industries and talking about how they embrace change, overcome hurdles, and stay relentless. I'm Dr. Julie Gurner. I've spent over a decade studying the behaviors of the ultra-successful and have used those insights to empower business leaders in finance, technology, and real estate. When it comes to the future of work, no one wants to be left behind. And reinventing yourself is not only important, but necessary. Here at The Relentless, we like to think of it as you 2.0. You're holding fast to your ideals and what's mission critical, but some big changes are afoot. This could mean advancing in your career, pivoting in a changing market, or starting your own business. But where do you start? That's what I'd like to talk about with today's guest. I spent a lot of time in the principal's office because I was always disrupting, quote unquote, and speaking out and asking questions, all the things that I get paid to do today. That's venture capitalist Arlen Hamilton. She's the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. Her firm invests in early stage startups led by underrepresented founders. Companies like Uncharted Power, a renewable energy startup, and Tinsel, a wearable tech company. She's had a lot of press over the last year, including being the focus of a season of the hit podcast Startup and landing on the cover of Fast Company magazine. I've raised a total of about 10 million across the board for both investment and operations. And we've had everything from just me in a backpack to 45 people on the team across two countries, just depending on what we were working on during that year. But in the beginning, just about a decade ago, she only had her vision. I found myself just completely broke, had no access to capital, and I still wanted to raise this fund because I knew it needed to exist. For Arlen, none of this happened overnight, and her path of reinvention took some pretty surprising turns. It all started in her early 20s. I became curious about a pop punk band in Norway, of course, as you do at 21, and taught myself how to book a tour across the U.S. so I could have them play. Became their tour manager, their booker. We did that for a couple of years and then started doing that with other indie musicians. In the middle of taking that to becoming production coordinator and tour manager for arena-sized tours, which I worked my way up over a 10-year period, in the middle of that, I decided I wanted to start a print magazine about music because on theme. And so I did. I published a print magazine called Interlude from 2004 to 2008. It was probably the toughest part of my career as far as we had to be bootstrapped at all. And it was this huge undertaking, but it was very well received. And it did fold in 2008, unfortunately, when a lot of things did. And after that get back into touring, but this time I said, I want to do it on a scale that's much, much bigger. Wow. So what kind of made the turn in your career, in your path to going into venture work? And at one point, you know, I had read, and you can tell me if I'm accurate on this, that you booked your first 
big investment while literally living in the San Francisco airport. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about <laughs> how that happened. Until I was 35 as an adult, I kind of bounced around. Like some every once in a while, I'd have an apartment of my own, like twice or three times in that time period. At first, it was kind of like part of this rock and roll lifestyle where I could kind of call it that because right. I was working with these bands. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I, my home is the world. So, you know, everyone, but really like, then it started becoming like, you can't make ends meet. And so I said, well, I'm in, I'm in Silicon Valley now because I got myself here. Where can I go where I'm not on the streets? Because I, I can't see myself doing that. But I don't want to do anything illegal. So I don't want to steal. I don't want to do any of that. What can I do that's like a hack? So, well, the airport, again, I'm going to say I do not recommend this. Please don't revere this and emulate it. Uh, but that's what I thought at the time. An airport is safer. It's indoors. There are a lot of people going in and out. So I can kind of be a little invisible if I need to be. And there's there's like a food court if I need to, like if I find some money, I can go to the food court. I was just this whole thing. And the San Francisco airport has a commuter train. And so I would stay overnight and I would use my jeans as my pillow. I would kind of cover my face with my luggage so that I wouldn't have to watch people walk by and vice versa. And it was cold and the floor was hard and I slept for maybe three hours a night and it wasn't fun. And then I would get up and, and then go face the day and go to meetings. That's amazing. So what kept you really going in times where it seemed very uncertain? The worst part was that I didn't know how long it was going to take to get out of that. But I was driven by the fact that I knew it in my heart. I just knew the type of fund I was describing, which was a fund that was going to invest in underrepresented people, women of color, women across the board, people of color across the board, and LGBT founders who were so overlooked at this point, had to exist. So what was the hardest part of that personal reinvention? Because I would assume that it would take a lot to uh, even kind of get yourself to the point where, you know, you're in the airport and you know that that's where you're at right now. But to be able to go to these meetings, present confidently, like really be the person you needed to be. I mean, the whole thing was just was difficult. But I yeah. think, I, again, I, I think the way I was able to do it was just that I kept going back to this root of just be you, like be authentic. I didn't necessarily tell everybody. I didn't tell anybody. I told a couple of people that this was happening. But everything else, just be really honest. So I didn't have this thing where I felt like I was a fraud to anyone when I was going to these meetings. I wasn't ashamed of it. So I didn't have that added kind of thing on my yes and and I was just like you know what I feel good about myself I don't feel like a failure in this moment because I'm trying and these are the circumstances I'm in and I'm still trying so I'm not a failure and I took that with me and so the hardest part was just the actual circumstances what was the easiest part of making this happen for yourself I've had many bold big audacious dreams and and aspirations and execution in a lot of cases. But never have I felt such a calling for it as when this came into my life. So the easiest part was just the, the knowing that I was going to do it. I didn't know how long it was going to take. I didn't know how tough it was going to be. I didn't know any of that, but I did know I was going to achieve it. So what was the draw to venture capital over other industries for you? 
Well, it was really about the mission and the focus in getting more capital to underestimated and underrepresented founders. It wasn't like, oh, I want to be a venture capitalist. I really don't have that much of a reverence for that title. It was the tool that I could learn to wield in order to achieve the thing that I wanted to do. A key trait I see in a lot of individuals who ultimately become successful is that they're autodidactic, right? They teach themselves what they need. Autodidactic. You have to explain that to me. Uh, yeah, they, they're self-learners. They self-teach. And I noticed that when you've talked about the concepts you've learned and the things you've done, that you've read books, you watch videos. I mean, you mm-hmm. really get out there and you study it. Yeah. You become an expert. But don't necessarily rely on the fact that someone else has to teach it to you. Well, I'm so excited that I just learned that the trait that has helped me the most is being autodidactic. I'm going to answer that from now <laughs> All on. All right, cool. As you move forward and like you're self-teaching, you know, it seems like that has been something really deep within you. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, if you feel like that's something that anyone can do, do you feel like, or do you feel like that's something unique that you've always carried? I Oh, I, I can't be the only one for sure. I think that A lot of the things that hold people back have to do around waiting for someone else to come in and save them or give them permission. I think it's about controlling your destiny because if you have yourself to rely on when it comes to learning things, to making decisions, etc., then you can move fast. You can make and break things. You can uh, learn from that breaking. You can iterate. You know, that is to me, it's all strategy. So beyond self-teaching, what else do you believe are the things that push people forward in reinvention? Authenticity. Again, listening to yourself and listening to what you want. So it's not just a lot of times when people talk about like listening to your instincts, Mm -hmm. that means like what should you do next or what is the answer to this question? It's But really, a really important part of that is uh, what makes me happy like, I still think about that every day when, when I'm supposed to be doing something. And I'm like, why am I having such a hard time doing this task or doing this thing? And mm-hmm. it's and then I realize, like, oh, because I don't want to do it. Is there a way that I can, that someone else can do this that does like doing this? Mm-hmm. And I can do this other thing and have a bigger impact. So for the entrepreneur who has taken the leap to say, okay, I really want to, you know, shift gears in the coming year. I want to go into a new space. You know, I want to get into a new field. What advice would you have for them in kind of making that transition? I think you kind of push yourself. So whereas if you're just thinking about it now, maybe you have a goal set that within the next six months, I'm going to go to some sort of conference that's related to this thing that I want to do so I can be more, have more information and be around it more. Whatever it is, you push yourself further than you were going before, but you don't necessarily just race to the next thing without, without any kind of plan or without any kind of stability because you've got yourself where you are right now in that stable position. That's really valuable. It's part of what will make the next thing really great. So it's about educating yourself on it. So I say as much research as you can. Do what I did. I researched for years. While it wasn't coming together on the financial side, I was building, building, building. I, I said, if you if you don't have money and you want to attract money, you become money. 
And that is through the education and, and, and knowing more than the next person knows about that thing. I love that. And one of the things you also said, which I, I appreciate, is that, you know, you're kind of one of the few people who talk about the fact that, yeah, I'm on this mission, I'm doing this thing, but I also expect to make money from this. Yes, of course. And kind of not being apologetic about the fact that, you know, you also intend to make a good deal of money from Absolutely. the work that you do. I mean, my mom was dirt poor. Uh, and she made it quite a, quite a way for herself, so I have to give her that credit. But we did grow up without that much money. And then most of my adult life was like that. When it comes to just me personally, like my, my, my personal goals, people like Richard Branson and Oprah have been heroes most of my life. And they're heroes for many reasons, and one of them is the way that they've been able to chart their own course and create opportunity for so many people with the, the money that they have. Like mm-hmm. That's part of it. So I want to make a lot of money. It's always been on my mind. It's not, it doesn't, like money itself is not inter- interesting to me. It's what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to use it to buy a bunch of the same thing over and over for myself. I will use it to catalyze even more and leave a legacy. But that still takes money. So I want that. I also believe wholeheartedly that the people I'm investing in are not charity cases and they're not people that you should feel sorry for or throw a penny at because you want to help them they're underestimated that's why we say that they are going to outperform i've seen it happen over and over again in in different aspects of life so it's both in what i'm investing in that i believe in as a viable investment and in my personal life never being ashamed of wanting to do great and, and be great We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Arlen about reinvention. Hey, listeners. In this interconnected world, it's vital to have a global mindset. In an upcoming episode, we're looking into what it really means to expand your business into international markets. We want your questions. What specific questions do you have around cultivating a global mindset to grow your business? We'd really like to hear from you, so send us a message. Our email address is century21pod at slate.com. Or tweet your question with the hashtag century21pod. And we may use your question in our upcoming episode. We're back with Arlen Hamilton. How did you challenge yourself? You know, because you didn't have, you weren't able to be surrounded by people who would like kind of check what you're doing or or really kind of uh, (laughs) challenge you in that way. Well, let me stop you there. I grew up with my black mother in the South. So I'm checked, humbled every day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the truth. (laughs) My mom is never going to not let me be humbled uh, in in one way or another. So I I meant checked in like, do you think that investing in these companies will work? Do you think that raising a fund is going to happen? Like that part has to be within like that part. If I listened to people's opinions of that, I wouldn't have done it. Because they're going to have, they're going to base their answers on their limitations. You have to chart that yourself. I even tell founders who are looking for investment for me, don't let my opinion be the opinion. And I have, you know, pretty high regard for my opinion. (laughs) But don't let me be the thing that stops you or tells you that you're doing the perfect thing. Either way, you definitely want to talk to your trusted peers. You also want to have a few people who may disagree with you to understand where the holes are. And then ultimately what sets apart a good CEO, a good founder, a good manager 
from a great one is the person who can understand when to filter the noise and how to filter it. So if someone is is taking on this journey and really repositioning themselves for a leap forward, do you feel like there has to be this honest inventory of what their strengths are? And if so, you know, how does someone go about really getting honest with themselves or knowing what those strengths are? I can't walk you into a place and get you to pick up the phone to make the call to the person that you're that changes your life. I can't do but if you are a person who it's like you want that change. What we're talking about today are some things that you can start today. And that's within your reach and within your power to do. So you absolutely need to know your strengths so that you can then double down on them. And like, for instance, my brother, he's uh, in his early 30s. He always struggled in school. And they just kind of put him in a remedial class. They were just like, oh, he's, he's, he's dumb. That's basically what they said. The school said about him. He's brilliant. He just had dyslexia and nobody knew it. And he just had ADD and nobody knew it and understood it. It's just about doubling down on your on your strengths. So like once my brother understood, oh, okay, you're supposed to do it this way. And I didn't understand that before. And once we knew that about him, I mean, he just he flourishes. So he doesn't he's not going to necessarily crack open a book to learn something, but he will listen to an audio book. And he'll get the same information and then he'll he'll lap you when it comes to understanding it and putting it to practice. So if he didn't reflect and, and be honest with himself and say, I don't I know everybody else is around me and they're reading and they have a book open, but that doesn't work for me, then he would be stuck and he would be the rest of spending the rest of his life not doing So what I'm also hearing, too, is that, you know, be really cautious how much you listen to the opinions of others in what you can and cannot do. And be but at the same time, be honest with, you know, yourself and following through and believing in yourself and what you're capable of. Absolutely. Uh, At this point, when you are bringing someone on board, you have some folks in there who are challenging and in some really important ways for you. What we have come to really make awesome at Backstage is that I want the dissenting opinion. I want to hear from that person who, where everybody's clapping, the one person's like, that's never going to work. Because that's protective. That's helping us as be better. And so I can think of there's actually this particular person who I consistently argue with when it comes to we have a disagreement of how to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And anytime there is a decision about who's going to be in the room. I say, make sure he's in the room. Interesting. I don't say like, I don't want to hear it from him. I say, make sure he's in there because this is, I, I need to make sure that I'm hearing this from all sides. It's almost like being a politician. You want to know the pulse of your constituents. Mm-hmm. So you don't surround yourself with yes people. I want to know what people are really thinking. If they're really thinking 80% are like, yeah, this is awesome. But there are a few who are not. You're probably representing a lot more people. And it seems like a great checks and balances system, too, Absolutely. for yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I joke about having, like, a big ego, but I, I had a big ego when I was broke. Like, when I was taking my food stamps to uh, wherever, I mean, since I was five, I've, had a, a, I've been confident. So I'm going to have the ego that I have, but the reality is that I don't want to ever be this person that nobody can check, that nobody can question. And it seems like that self-belief is part of why you've gotten where you have. Yeah, that's part of it. So are there any pieces of advice that you would say someone going about kind of transitioning or making their journey really things they should avoid? 
Avoid being a jerk whenever possible. Um, Why do you say that? Because it comes back to you. Like whatever you put out comes back. It just does. I've seen it happen. And so if you're if you're just giving off this vibe, why would people want to work with you? Why would people want to trust you with something with their either their five dollars for the thing that you're selling or trust you to go out and and find a home for them to buy or trust you for anything? If you have this sort of negative energy around you, that doesn't mean like you're nice to everybody who can do something for you and then you're a jerk to anyone else. It means be that consistently and you never have to like remember to be cool. I think that forgiveness is a productivity hack. I'm not saying forget. I'm not saying be, let yourself be treated poorly. Never going to say that. But some things we can let go of that we hold on to that are like lesser and we hold on to them. And then we are the ones who are not moving and, and making progress because we're stuck on what they're doing, looking at their Twitter. Oh, I can't believe they're on this vacation because we didn't forgive them. And as soon as you forgive certain people again for the, the smaller stuff, that heightens your productivity. I agree. I think that's an incredibly overlooked hack. I, that's not one I would have thought of, but only because it releases you. Yeah. You know, like that anger that people hold and the things that they are, it's taking their energy. And uh, and I can see that that's an incredibly clear productivity hack that no one ever talks about. So has your concept of reinvention really changed through different phases of your career? I thought I was adaptable at 35 because I had been through so much already. But for between 35 and 38, I mean, I can adapt mid-sentence. I can, oftentimes people are still trying to convince me of something like multiple paragraphs later while they're talking to me. And it's just really one thing that they've said to me that was like, oh, they are right. We're going to do it that way now. So give me an example of noticing that you're far more adaptable now and what that means. When you're raising this type of money and most of the answers are no. And then you have so much writing on the yes. It really knocks you off your feet when someone says, hey, I'm going to give you $100,000, but then they back out in the last minute. Oof. So I've had that happen multiple times. And of course, the first time it happened, I thought my whole world was going to end. I thought, oh my God, what? what? But it's happened so much where I thought something was going to happen and then it fell through that I've had no choice but to teach myself how to be okay with that and say, okay, we'll find a different way. There will have to be a different way. A normal reaction should be like dread and fear. Right. But if you are, you know, have you gone through that so many times, you just kind of, there's a new skin, there's a new armor. It seems like a, a skill that would be translatable in, across industries. Like I think about a real estate agent going into a listing appointment where, you know, there's a lot of money riding on this and them getting that deal. And then yeah. someone saying, oh, you sound great. You're fantastic. And then they learn that it's not going to come through. So how do you learn to deal with the pressure when you walk into a room of having, you know, a lot riding on those meetings? Yeah, I would imagine like real estate is really similar to what I'm doing because it's like commission-based and it's based on how you connect with the person and you take their word and they take your word and you, you go. I mean, kind of like letting go a little bit and understanding that behind every check there's a, a human. Mm-hmm. And circumstances are going to change, and it's not necessarily your fault. And so if you go in thinking more like, let's do a numbers game here. And uh, if what you're banking on is one out of every three people saying yes, change that up, take more control, and say, okay, one out of ten, 
you've now put yourself back in control. And when you go in, that one person doesn't hold as much control over you and whatever the decision they make. I like that. So you really shift the power. Yeah, all day. So Arlen, every episode, we choose a question from one of our listeners to pose to our guest. Here's a question from Annie Brown. What is your advice for being your most authentic self in business settings? It helps to know why you're doing something. If you know why you're doing something, it's really easy to be yourself doing it, right? If that makes sense. So if you feel like you're being fake at something or if you're like, oh, that's not my voice or like, like, I don't say that. Why am I being so nervous or awkward or trying to impress? Sometimes that happens to me. Like I'll, I'll hear myself talking to certain people and I'm like, everything that's coming out of my mouth is me trying to impress them. <laughs> Why am I giving them my stats? Why am I doing that? I'll like have a little word with myself, like calm down. Why are you in this meeting? Why are you talking to this person? What do you want out of this? And then it brings me back to the center of like real and authenticity. And it's like, it's my own putting myself in check. I, I think that's really honest of you to say, because oh, I yeah. think that when you're able to catch yourself in those moments, I think it also does a great service to the meeting itself because people can spot when you're not authentically who you are. Yeah. I think that people have a really great radar for that stuff. Yeah. And, and I think it makes meetings more successful as well, you know, when you're able to tap into that. One of the questions we ask everyone who comes on the podcast, how do you define relentless? Relentless. It is obviously not giving up when you're facing the um, seemingly impossible, but it's also being extremely focused in the reasoning behind it so that you put all of your focused effort in the right direction. It's fantastic. You know, after all of this, the journey that you've had, do you feel like you've made it? <laughs> No. <laughs> no, of course not. I've not made it. Uh, I, you'll know when I've made it when you see me in a one-piece purple velour suit and there's a bird on my shoulder because that's going to be my announcement day outfit. <laughs> I have not made it. No. Uh, I am making it. I'm making it. I'm going to get, just like I knew at the airport that I would happen. Mm -hmm. I knew I know it will happen. So I, I will I'll be very wealthy and I will be very impactful and I will catalyze people every day and I'm well on my way to doing that but I am not there yet it has been an absolute pleasure I feel like it's a great honor and I wish you all the best of luck moving forward thank you very much The Relentless is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate I'm Dr. Julie Gurner thanks so much for listening and please join us next time Copyright Century 21 Real Estate, LLC. All rights reserved. Century 21 Real Estate, LLC fully supports the principles of the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Opportunity Act. Each office is independently owned and operated. This material may contain suggestions and best practices that you may use at your discretion. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals featured and not necessarily of Century 21 Real Estate.